What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. All right, today we continue our series on the Nutcracker, looking at the classic Christmas ballet and drawing comparisons to the scriptures and what God might be speaking into our lives today. Last week we looked at Clara, the 12-year-old girl who was in the midst of transitions in her life from childhood to adulthood. For many of us, we find ourselves in a similar situation in these in-between years, going from one thing to another. We saw how even Jesus had these in-between years as he went to the temple at 12 years old, and the scriptures say he continued to grow in wisdom and in years, as well as in divine and human favor. Jesus grew. Jesus matured and was able to navigate the development from childhood to adulthood, and we can do something similar. We can get through these tough situations we find ourselves in because Jesus is by our side, whether we realize it or not. And now we turn our attention to another character in the ballet, Clara's godfather, Drosselmeyer. He's a bit of a mystery, but absolutely necessary to the plot of the story. Before we go too deep into his background, let's hear our scripture for today. I believe Kelly is going to read for us. It comes from the prophet Isaiah. Hezekiah is the king of Israel, and he has just done an incredibly foolish thing. He doesn't even know how foolish it is yet. But the next thing we read is this prophecy that will be repeated in the New Testament with John the Baptist saying, Prepare the way of the Lord. Let's prepare our hearts now to hear this passage from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Hear now the word of the Lord. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her, that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 4 through 8, Jesus answered them, Beware that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Messiah, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we begin. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Reveal your truth to us today, Lord, as we seek your meaning and purpose for our lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the Nutcracker, all is well until a dark and mysterious figure enters the scene. He has a hood over his head and and wears an eye patch. The children, anxiously waiting for Christmas and all the gifts that come with it, are understandably frightened by his presence. But soon this figure removes his disguise and the children are delighted to find that it is none other than Drosselmeyer, the uncle and godfather of Clara. 
He gives the children toys and displays near magical abilities as he somehow makes them come to life. In some versions of the ballet, he puts on a puppet show, controlling each character and delighting the children with a, a tale of toy soldiers and mice battling until finally the soldiers win the day. It's then that the real drama of the story begins. Claire has received from her godfather a nutcracker that immediately makes her brother Fritz jealous. He takes it from her and breaks it. That sounds like just about every Christmas I've had with my two boys. Uh, we always buy them two of everything, but inevitably one family member or one friend throws a monkey wrench into things and buys two different gifts for my two children, always leading to a fight. Am I alone in this? Am I alone in that? No, no, I see heads shaking. No, I'm not alone. Good. Uh, with a broken nutcracker, Clara goes back to her godfather looking for help, and she gets it. Drosselmeyer is able to fix the nutcracker and slips it under her bed. So the stage is set for an epic battle. Just as had happened in the puppet show, Drosselmeyer uses his magic. Uh, the Christmas tree grows, and the mouse king comes to do harm. But the nutcracker comes to Clara's aid. He defends her, and the mouse king is defeated. That's when Clara notices that the nutcracker was harmed in battle. Clara begs her godfather to save the nutcracker, and again he does. He transforms him into a handsome prince, which leads Clara to the sugar plum fairy, and all is well. Fantastical, wondrous, magical. Some might call it absurd, but does it mean anything? Does this story matter, or is it just a performance amounting to nothing? In the thread of Drosselmeyer's story, we can see something interesting. Drosselmeyer is not just an uncle or a godfather. He is a god figure. He is mysterious. He can bring his creations to life. He is the one Clara turns to when she is in danger, and he saves his beloved with a glorious transformation. There are a portion of folks, though, that don't really like Drosselmeyer. They describe him as a creep, frightening children. If you read the story, one uh, you might even call his actions gaslighting as he publicly denounces Clara as dreaming that these toys come to life at night, only to tell her privately that he does indeed believe her. But as much as people might see different things in the character of Drosselmeyer, we also see different things in God. Plenty of folks tell me how God knows everything. Yet when we look at the scriptures, we see these moments where it's not quite so clear-cut. In Genesis, there's a story of Abraham where an angel tells him to take his only son and sacrifice him to God on a mountain. As Abraham raises his knife to follow through on the command of God, uh, God stops him saying, For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Strange, isn't it? God seems to wait until the very last moment to say, Oh, okay, now I believe you. The story has to at least give you pause about what God does and does not know. And then there's the prophet Jeremiah that says in chapter 3, I thought after she has done all this, she will return to me. Referring to the nation of Israel coming back to God. But the verse continues, but she did not return. It sounds like God is surprised. I had a professor when I was at Houghton College, he had the whole freshman class gathered together and he asked us, can God know that which is unknowable? The silence. 
falls across the room. It sounds like a silly question, like how many angels can fit on the head of a pin? But there is far more meaning to this question. He walked us through it. He said, if God can't know what is unknowable, then free will has real consequences. If we really are free to choose one direction or another, then God cannot know which choice we will make. So he would say, God really does put choice in our hands. God can be surprised at the choices we make. Again, I'm not saying I know all the answers, far from it. It's just that these things make us reconsider our position on how we understand what it is that God is doing in this world. It means we don't know everything. That is absolutely certain. And then we come to the prophecy of Isaiah 40. God declares, Comfort, O comfort my people. Jerusalem has paid her penalty. So now God's glory will be revealed as the people work to prepare the way of the Lord, making the road straight with the valleys filled in and the mountains leveled. The image here is of a king who expects the road to be prepared before royalty will travel on those roads. In the same way, God expects our hearts to be ready for him before his arrival among us. The prophecy in Isaiah is called the herald of the new exodus. The first exodus was when Israel was enslaved to the Egyptians. God led them through Moses out of captivity, led by a pillar of cloud during the day and of fire at night, through the Red Sea and across the desert to the promised land filled with milk and honey. Now the people of God have again fallen away from the Lord and God again promises that he will deliver his people. They have been spread all over the earth and God will gather them back together again. At one point Israel had even been defeated by a major empire. That's the foolish thing Israel's king Hezekiah does in the story right before Isaiah 40. So here it is. Isaiah, uh, Hezekiah welcomes two travelers from Babylon The king had been very ill, uh, but prayed to God, Remember me, Lord, I've been faithful. And God seems to change his mind. I have heard your prayer, and I'll add 15 years to your life. It's pretty incredible. And he recovers from his illness, so this other empire, Babylon, sends some people to congratulate him. When they arrive, Hezekiah welcomes them and gives them a tour of the whole capital, from their treasury to their armory to their food supplies. When the prophet Isaiah hears about it, he asks the king, what did they see? And Hezekiah says, I showed them everything. And the Bible doesn't say it, but I am absolutely certain Isaiah slaps his forehead and says, you fool. Uh, Then he tells a prophecy of how Israel will one day fall victim to Babylon. Then it happens about seven years later, Israel is defeated in battle by Babylon and the people of God are dragged into exile. They are separated from their homes and many even from their families. It is this awful, dreadful period in the history of Israel where the people of God say, where are you, Lord? Everything is awful. It's the part of the nutcracker where the mouse king is winning. So this prophecy comes in this terrible moment. Comfort, oh comfort, Israel has paid her penalty. 
Prepare the roads because God is on his way. And again, eventually it happens. Israel is restored. The people are brought back to their homes, but it doesn't happen exactly as the people would have expected. The way is prepared, but it takes 70 years. Most of the people who were captured have already died. It's their children and their children's children who have never, ever lived in Israel before that they are going back. God's prophecy is only fulfilled after almost an entire generation dies off. It does not work the way that the people expect it to. So where does that leave us? Is this really God at work? Well, an atheist would probably say, no, this is not God at work. It's just luck or made-up fairy tales that these people got back to their homeland. But others would say, well, we can't understand how God works, so we should just trust the Bible and give up trying to understand. And as a person who is always trying to understand God and the world around me better, both of those answers are so dissatisfying to me. I love that in the Methodist church, we keep working at this. We want to be faithful in serving God, but also trying to understand as much as we can so that our service is as close to what God would want as possible. My family, we just went to see the Nutcracker this week, and I was sitting right next to Hal, my eight-year-old. Uh, part of the way through the ballet, the girl Clara lays down in a bed, and then these mice sneak out and do battle with the toy soldiers. They had smoke machines going, and the whole stage is filled with it, and these strange lights are beaming across the stage. And I leaned over to Hal, and I said, this is Clara dreaming after she goes to sleep. It wasn't exactly clear that that's what was happening in the story. It's been, uh, I've been to plays before, and I know the story well enough that I could interpret what was happening. But Hal, he wouldn't have known that. So I was helping him out, helping him to understand Sometimes that's how it is with the things that God does or the prophecies we read in the Bible. Things are not always entirely clear. Sometimes we need someone's help in knowing how to interpret what is happening. The way Drosselmeyer is a wizard or a magician giving gifts and battling evil is how many people see God. But that's not really quite accurate, is it? God doesn't do magic. Miracles are not gifts given to us by God because we demand them or because we somehow deserve them. Miracles are the action of God done pure and simply because God wills it. We cannot control God. We can't make those things happen as much as we might wish that we could. I love the image in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. God is compared to the lion that is so fierce, it's terrifying to be around him. You don't control the lion. You do your best to stay out of its way. A similar dynamic plays out when it comes to prophecy, too. We might think we've heard from God and that we know what God wants from us, but so often it's only years later with time to reflect that we even realize, oh yeah, that detail that I was so sure was God really wasn't. It was only in the consistent pursuit of God over many years growing and staying steadfast that I saw what it was that God really did have for me. Prophecy doesn't control our destiny. There's no fate at work making our lives a, a wound-up clock that just plays out in parts. Prophecy is the will of God laid bare 
so that we can choose to follow what God has for us. We are working to make the road straight, as in Isaiah 40. But do you know that making the road straight so the glory of God can come is always, always an option to us? You can choose today, right now, to make the road straight. You can change your life so that you are welcoming to the Lord. There is nothing stopping that from happening. This prophecy we read about, it's an event that happened almost 3,000 years ago as Israel was brought back to their homeland, but it's also a prophecy about Jesus and how the road was made straight by John the Baptist. The people's hearts were prepared when they repented of their sins so that Jesus could show them the way to God. And also, this prophecy is about today. It is about the people who, again, choose to prepare a path for God to enter in. The question for us today is, will we prepare the way? Will we do what Israel did so long ago to restore their their nation? Will we do what John the Baptist and the disciples did to welcome Jesus and share his message of God's love with the world? Will we say yes to God, even if it doesn't square with what we expect God to do? Drosselmeyer in The Nutcracker reminds us that God is full of surprises. The greatest surprise, of course, is Jesus Christ, but whatever God might have up his sleeve, our work is to welcome it in, to say yes to God so that the way is prepared. We need each other to do that well. We need the church to encourage us when God's will seems unclear. Let's end here. In Boston, there are six towers at the Holocaust Memorial. Five tell of the awful tragedies happening in concentration camps. But the sixth has a story of a woman, Gerda Klein. As awful as things were for her, she survived and chose to tell stories of hope and love and friendship that happened while she was imprisoned. One is of a childhood friend who was in the camp with her, When she found a single raspberry in a gutter, instead of eating it, she wrapped it up in a leaf and placed it in her pocket. She spent the day working, and at the end of it, she went and found Gerda and gave her this gift of a raspberry. Could you imagine that? Having virtually nothing, and then when you find one single good thing, you give it to your friend. How tempted she must have been all day to eat it herself, and yet she chose to give it away. To do good even when she was surrounded by the most awful of circumstances. When I think about who God is, that's the kind of story I think about. When I think about prophecy, that's the kind of action I think it's meant to inspire. God is love. God is selfless in giving Jesus through death on a cross to save us. So even though it's hard to know much about God, we can still welcome him in. He's as shrouded in mystery as Drosselmeyer, but what we know for certain is that God loves us, and when we prepare a way to welcome in his love, God's glory is sure to follow. Amen? Amen. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, 
check out our website at gumc.org.